Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. Welcome back, guys, to the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. We are now on Skype, thanks to some technical glitches from Zoom, and that's no shade. But anyways, (laughs) we're here. It's the morning. It's early. But we've got a lot of playoff basketball to talk today. First, Jeff, how are you doing today, man? Not too bad, man. How are you? Bro, I'm so tired. I don't usually like to talk about this kind of stuff on the podcast, but man, I got like three or four hours of sleep last night. I don't got the best energy today, so you're going to have to carry the energy today, man, because <laughs> I, I can't carry the load like LeBron or AD, man. It's it's too much for me, man. I'm, I'm not a professional basketball player. Hey, man, you're starting off not too bad, you know? Let's keep it going. Let's see what's going on. As I think when we talk basketball, you'll start to wake up and get more excited because there's been a lot of exciting basketball, a lot of exciting news, so definitely a lot to talk about. So, speaking of exciting news, we got to first talk about the NBA draft lottery. It happened last <laughs> night. Yes. The Minnesota Timberwolves won the top pick in the lottery. First, what are your reactions to that that lottery win for them? Um, good for Minnesota. I think this is an exciting moment for them. I think that I would definitely say the consensus number one would probably be Anthony Edwards. And I just think that's the perfect fit for that team, you know, to match the backcourt with D'Angelo Russell and play with Carl Anthony Towns and create somewhat of a big three, a future big three. Um, I think that if you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, you're excited, Um, despite the fact that your team is about to get sold soon. (laughs) I think just as a franchise, like the future trajectory, I think that's very exciting. also, for the Golden State Warriors, you should be pretty happy, too. You know, you guys didn't drop. Um, and you guys are probably going to get James Wiseman, which is the perfect center um, that they need. Um, and, wow, Golden State's going to be an exciting team to watch next year with uh, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson uh, going back. Uh, com- sorry, coming back. Um, and I think the biggest, the funniest story uh, of yesterday is seeing the New York Knicks Oh my god. Pain Dropped the eight. What oh my goodness. Like that team is cursed. Like I at this point I feel bad for the fans. Like, come on. Like um it's ten thirty seven as we're recording this. Uh we haven't seen Stephen A. Smith's reaction yet. Um I cannot wait to see his reaction to the Knicks. 
<laughs> he's gonna be crying, man. He's gonna be crying for sure. And listen, like I get it, like I, I can relate to some of those sentiments. Be being a Leafs fan in the hockey world, but uh, oh my god, I it's nice to laugh at a franchise like that as a Raptors fan, because um, you know obviously they're in the same division. We've had some rivalry. Um, and the Knicks are obviously seen as one of the bigger franchises in the NBA, historic franchise, and they just historically have been screwed over for the past, like, how many years? Like, <laughs> It's probably been at least since Patrick Ewing left, which is, like, what, 15 years, 20 years almost? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's been and a lot of pain for mm-hmm. sure. Right, and, like, they've had, like, lottery picks for the past few years. I mean, like, R.J. Baird's not a bad pick, but, other like, other picks, Frank Nikina, Kevin Knox, you know, they've had draft picks where they, they, they like, in that range where they, they could have been building, they should have been good by now, but they just kept on messing up their picks, bad luck, Borsingas happened, you know... <laughs> This team is a joke. This team is a franchise. This franchise is a joke. Oh, my days. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to put this up one time for the New York Knicks fans out there that are listening. if Or if you're watching this video, I just put up the Jordan crying meme behind me. So, uh, yeah, that's this for all the Knicks fans. I, I feel for you, but at the same time, you've got the worst owner in the league. You've got, prob- you've got the best market in the league, too, besides, mm-hmm. like, the L.A. teams, and you still can't get it done. So, just it's just pain for New York Knicks fans, and I'm sorry, but we got to we got to clown you because your team shouldn't be like this, but it just is. So condolences to our Knicks fans out there that are listening. I also think that in terms of this draft, Minnesota can take this a couple different ways, just because they could get a guy like Anthony Edwards who has a pretty high potential and a high ceiling. He's a shooting guard. Yeah, he's a shooting guard, and he's going to slot in really nice next to D'Angelo Russell. The biggest question with him is just his shooting. So right. they could also go a couple of different ways. Like, they could possibly pick LaMelo Ball and mm. D'Angelo Russell to the two. If, if they see, like, that's a foreseeable option. They could also take, uh, what's his name, James yeah. Wiseman. I don't think uh, so. Who's like, athletic center. So. Hey, he could slot nicely though, because he's athletic. He's he's a defensive-oriented big. I know that's it's not popular to to use uh, two bigs in the league at this point, but he's he's more dynamic than uh, bigs that are coming out came out of the draft recently. So he he's an interesting option too. I'm just questioning whether this this draft is not really the strongest draft we've seen in a couple years. Oh, yeah, especially compared to like the last three years where we had like Luka Doncic in one draft. Last last year's draft wasn't too great besides Zion and Ja, but mm-hmm. there aren't really too many like franchise altering talents in this draft. So a lot of it is going to be about fit, but it's also going to be like, can you evaluate who the best player is out of this crop of players that are kind of like all on a relatively same playing field? So. It's going to be an interesting draft for sure. Right. And um, i got to give a shout out to Charlotte and Chicago who moved up as a result of the Knicks faltering. Uh, with Charlotte, I think that... Okay, so for me, I think 
number one and two are pretty set in my opinion because I think Edwards is the right fit with D'Angelo in comparison to uh, Wiseman and Lamelo. Um, number two, Wiseman. That's a, again, like you mentioned before, this is more of a draft of needs, um, and I think that they really need that like center because obviously their backcourt is pretty set. Um, with the third overall pick, the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, they need everything. Like, like, you know, like, I know they got Devontae Graham, but he's, like, uh, like they, they still need that dynamic. They need a dynamic anything, and LaMelo Ball can be that guy. Uh, I don't know what LaMelo Ball thinks of going to Charlotte, uh, the idea of going to Charlotte. But he has to play uh, under Michael Jordan, I guess. Um, you know, so I don't know what you think uh, the Charlotte Hornets should do with that pick. Um also, important thing to note is actually uh, Agent Wojnarowski yesterday was mentioning that the the Warriors are interested in trading that pick as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what they would do with that pick. To me, I think they should draft Wiseman. Um, but interested to see what you think about that. I saw and I, I forgot what it was. It was like an Instagram post, and there was like one of these uh, journalists suggesting that the Warriors were trying to package the second pick in Andrew Wiggins for Pascal Siakam, which I thought was, I was like, if I'm a Sarajiri, I'm not even picking up the phone for that offer, man. Like, that's terrible. <laughs> I am not, dude. Pa- Andrew Wiggins for the, se- the second pick in this draft, and, bro, like, that's not that's not good enough for pa- for Pascal. Like, I don't see any of these guys in the draft right now that are even going to reach Pascal's level. So, like, that that's already a big red flag for me. Another question mm-hmm. with the Hornets and how they can take this pick. However they take this pick, I think they're just going to flop because the Hornets haven't been very good in the draft for how many years now? Right. They The only pick that they made that was pretty good was Kemba Walker, who shouldn't have really fallen into them because the Raptors had a chance to pick them, pick Kemba at five, but they picked the Onis Valanciunas instead. So they kind of got lucky with that one. But every year they've missed on their draft picks. Think about their last draft picks in this decade. They got Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they picked Frank Kaminsky one year. Uh, it's Cody Zeller. I think Cody, Col- Cody or Tyler. I forgot. It's one right. of the Zeller twins. But they haven't really hit well on their draft picks. And I think that's because Michael Jordan is just not good at assessing talent. Like historically, he's not good at assessing talent. Like we've seen, he's, he's put too much stock in Kwame Brown and players like that. So I I just think however they take it, they're going to miss badly where, wherever they decide to go with their draft pick. So, well, that's painful for the Hornets fans. Yeah, the track record isn't the greatest, but I mean, you know, they're bound to get lucky one of these years. And um, but you know, I'm thinking like, you know, I wa- I've been following, like, reading a lot of draft rankings and um, different perspectives. And just based off um, what I'm reading, you know, people really think Obi Toppin uh, mm, from Dayton yeah. is a very good pick. Um, I could, you know, you know what the thing is, I could see. Um, Charlotte picking someone like Obi Toppin over uh, Lamelo Ball, and then I th- I could see Lamelo dropping to Chicago, who's at four. Um, you know I'm not the like you know they got Kobe White, but um, you know I I think that Lamelo would be a good fit in uh, Chicago versus like 
you know, another player in the rankings. They got um, uh, Ane- oh, I can't I guess I pronounce his name. Akongudo from uh, SCU. Mm, yeah. Uh, he he's a good power forward. Uh, also the um, the best European player, Denny Avicii. Uh, Vicha. Yeah, yeah Avicii. Yeah. I was gonna mention him too. He they're they're kinda hyping him up to be like the next Luca, although I don't think he's gonna be the next Luca. I haven't yeah. really heard too much about him besides the fact that they're comparing him to Luca, so Well, because he's a European player and he is the best so, European player. Yeah. I, I does he have like any like major accolades in the in the Euroleague? Like is he a Euroleague MVP or something like that? Uh, no, they, he definitely hasn't been, no, I don't think the, the comparison to Doncic is just strictly because he's European, because, uh, okay. he doesn't have the, the same amount of experience, like, he only averages 14 minutes per game in 26 yearly games, versus how Doncic was a dominant force on his team, um, yeah. so I, and, um, you know, they say that he's a guy with strength. He can finish with either hand, excellent passer, both in transition and as a pick-and-roll ball handler, but he does need to improve his shooting to be a star-quality forward. So he's just, I see him more of like a raw prospect versus yeah. a more of a finished, well, not necessarily finished, but more of a complete package in Luka uh, heading into the draft. But, um, yeah, so I think that in the Cavs at five, so I guess just a very, very brief, prediction is I see um, Edwards number one to Minnesota Wiseman I'm, I'm I think I think the Warriors are picking us uh, keeping that pick so Wiseman number two um, Obi Toppin uh, number three to the Charlotte Hornets uh, LaMelo Ball number it's going to um, the Chicago Bulls and for the Cavaliers they've already got their guards they've got Colin Sexton Darius Garland um, you know I I they they don't they could get go for the the small fort for Villanova Sadiq Bay, um, I think though Akongu is the right guy for them because I think that Kevin Love is probably going to get traded. Um, they need to get a new power forward. Um, Kongu is being related to uh, Bam Adebayo, um, hmm. in terms of he's a imposing defender with length, ability to protect the rim. Um, he can serve as a center in a small ball lineup, which obviously is important in today's basketball. Um, so I, that's that's my brief top five. You know, um, I think we could dedicate a whole episode when it gets closer to the draft of like the our draft rankings. But that's oh, my well, yeah. We'll definitely be revisiting the draft in a in a later episode. But that's just our like brief mock draft, like really early. But uh, yeah. Now that that's covered, we kind of hit you guys with a pump fake there because uh, we weren't really uh, expecting to talk about the draft. We don't have that on our layout, but I just briefly remembered it in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, the the draft lottery happened last night. Because it's just so random at this time of the year to do the draft lottery. we got playoffs going on, so it kind of just went over the back of our heads. But now we're going to talk some playoff basketball. So far, it's been a pretty exciting time to watch basketball but i'm not gonna lie there are some games where i'm falling asleep man because i gotta watch these games for work and it's like eight hours of basketball a day and by the time we get to like that third or fourth game and it's just like 
a really it's a really big of a it's just really hard for me to get through that last push of like an hour where the teams aren't really like making shots and then my eyes are starting to drift so the fatigue sets in for me but I think the series that everybody wants to talk about first is probably the Clippers and the Mavericks series because it's been the most controversial for sure Mm -hmm. so before we get to talk about all of these playoff series we're going to be introducing a new segment we're going to be calling it is it too early to it's just a fill-in-the-blank type of segment where we're going to use it as a launching point to talk about all these series. So mm-hmm. for me, I'm going to say, is it too early to say that Luka Doncic is going to go down as an all-time great? Because he's put up all these amazing stats throughout this series. He's already passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in terms of total points in the first two games of a series. So that's like that's crazy for like a playoff debut for Luka. And we talked about Luka, and we were expecting him to struggle a little bit against the Clipper defense. But so far, aside from, like, the 10 turnovers in the first game, he got 28 points in the second game in limited minutes due to foul trouble. And to, to, to the Clippers' credit, though, like, they didn't really put Kawhi Leonard on him the whole game yet. But Luka hasn't really struggled at all yet throughout this whole series. So am I being premature saying that Luka is going to go down as an all-time great? Um, I wouldn't say so because I see that, you know, there's, the potential is just there, you know, and like, and he's also performing like right now. Um, I do want to say, first of all, that I've been saying that I think that the Clippers defense is kind of overrated from time. Um, obviously they have Kawhi Leonard, um, but I don't think that the Clippers' defense was ever going to be better than, say, the Raptors' defense. Um, and I know they were missing Patrick Beverly game two. Um, but I'm to say that I'm shocked that the Clippers aren't just, like, destroying the young um, Mavericks would just com- be completely wrong because I think that uh, there are some... Huge, like I think the Mavericks are a really young, exciting team. Obviously, Luka Doncic is there leading the force, being the young superstar that he is. And I'm already calling him a superstar at his age. You know, he's only a second-year player. Yeah. Uh, he's tw- he's 20, right? He's like 20. 21, 21. 21, 21. Exactly. He's, he's younger than us. Younger than us. That's mad. <laughs> um, but I think that the big, big X factor for um. The Mavericks is Kristaps Porzingis because I don't think there's anyone on the Clippers who can match up well, you know, with him. Like Montrezl Harrell is an undersized center. Uh, Zubak is just not in the same league as Porzingis in terms of the way that Porzingis can stretch the floor. I mean, he can launch some nuclear bombs from way past the arc, you know, um, and he's a seven foot three center um, who can. He's a pretty good shot blocker. His pick-and-roll defense is not the greatest. At least that's the way people make him out to be. But um, his impact is obviously very important to um, the success of the Mavericks. And also the Mavericks have pieces like Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, uh, What's his name? Uh, Oh, Jalen Brunson. Um, They've got pieces on that team um, that can... um, like this is going to be a hard-fought series for the Clippers. It's not going to be a cakewalk for them. And as for the 
the Clippers, <laughs> Paul George being exposed again. I've Play been saying, playoff P, man, this guy, like, you know, I've, he, do you think Kawhi kind of regrets leaving the Raptors in terms of just a basketball standpoint? I'm sure he doesn't necessarily regret going home uh, to see his family, but just from a basketball standpoint, I just, I feel like he, he downgraded, don't you think? I think so. I mean, I, I just always refer back to that clip of um, Marcus Morris trying to mess with Kawhi. Like, he's trying to, like, tap his head or something, and Kawhi's just, like, looking at him like, what are you doing? And then he looks away, and he's just like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's funny that the narrative now is that, oh, if Kawhi was back in Toronto still, then it would be, like, a guaranteed title. Which, as a Raptors fan, I want to be like, yeah, for sure. But at the same time, the team is a lot more different this year than it was last year. They're more reliant on ball movement. And yeah, sure. Like I'd like to say that Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors is a guaranteed title, but we don't know that for sure. But regardless of what happened, Kawhi decided to leave for the Clippers. And he's in a predicament now because the Dallas Mavericks, their best lineup actually doesn't have Luka Doncic on it. I don't know if you saw the b-ball breakdown, like, we always bring up b-ball breakdown, but that's like a great basketball channel if you want to learn more about the game, especially the way he like breaks down every playoff game too. Right, but right. The best lineup that the Dallas Mavericks have been running is a lineup of, I believe, Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, Maxi Kleba, mm-hmm. Christoph Porzingis, and I believe it was Seth Curry. It, that lineup that they had on the court when Luka Doncic was dealing with foul trouble in game one actually got them back in the game. And the only reason why they couldn't run that lineup is because Porzingis was ejected. And you can see in the second game when Luka Doncic was dealing with foul trouble again, that lineup really dominated the Clippers. And that that could be the key for them to getting an upset. But we'll have to see if the Clippers make any adjustments here and there because Personally, I think Doc Rivers is a little bit of an overrated coach. I think he's benefited a lot from having a really stacked assistant coaching roster throughout his career. Like you look at in Boston, he had Tibbs. And Thibodeau was like coaching the team for the most part when he was there. So Doc Rivers isn't necessarily, I don't see him as a top tier coach. He's a good coach, but I don't see him on the level of like Rick Carlisle or Nick Nurse, um, even a guy like Brad Stevens, and I'd say Budenholzer is even better than him too, and that's kind of a hot take. But yeah, the Clippers, I, I don't think they're in trouble, trouble, but a lot of it's going to hang on Paul George if they don't get passive, the Dallas Mavericks in this series. And Kawhi Leonard's definitely going to regret it big time if they don't make it pass. You got anything else to add here, man? Um. I agree with you on the note about Doc Rivers. I think he's just a big coach by name in terms of, you know, him being the coach of the big three, him being, I mean, I don't think that, I can't think of another such time where a coach was traded because um, he was traded from the Celtics to the Clippers. Um, just, I think that that in itself just like elevates his name in the NBA uh, community. Um, but I never saw him as like an excellent coach where he was like constantly adjusting um, 
with fantastic in-game adjustments. I never saw him as that type of coach. I saw him maybe as a maybe a player player coach. Maybe he's popular yeah. with the players, but I don't see him as that good of a coach. Um, in terms of the series, um, you know, I guess I st- like I said, I still have the Clippers winning just based off Kawhi, and I think, but I think that Kawhi is going to have to carry this team more than he thought that he would have to, you know, especially yeah. since how, of how hard he had to fight for, uh, fight to get Paul George on the team. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to lie on Kawhi's shoulders just because it doesn't look like Paul playoff P is actually a real thing. It's more like, uh, I, th- I think uh, I was watching uh, the No Dunks podcast a couple of days ago, and apparently Pandemic P was trending on Twitter that morning. <laughs> Pandemic P. So that's that sounds like more of a fitting nickname for Paul George. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz, which has been a surprise for me because personally, I I thought that Denver could have dominated this series, but we're looking at it now and it's a lot more closer. So the prompt I'm going to give you here is, is it too early to say that Utah Jazz are going to finish this in five? Oh, absolutely. Uh, too early. Uh, the Nuggets are still the better team. I, I understand it's been close, but, you know, um, with the playoffs, they're bound to get, like, the the lower-seeded teams can are bound to get maybe one or two games, unless it's, like, that far of a talent gap. But, you know, Denver, I mean, Utah still has Donovan Mitchell, still got Rudy Gobert. You know they still got some most of the their players, so it was going to be a fight. Um, I don't think the Nuggets were ever going to sweep them necessarily, but I still have the Nuggets winning. Um, you know Nuggets are still a better team, um, and and also obviously back to Utah, like they're not their full team, you know. So um, because of that, um, I think it's just not much more to say other than uh, Nuggets still got this. I'm not too I'll worried. tell you what, I feel like a fool right now because I'm looking at my bracket. Because a couple of days ago, you could have filled out your um, NBA Pick'em Challenge bracket, where right. you're just gonna like fill out your whole bracket and you have a chance to win a million dollars. I feel like a fool for choosing Denver in five, just because I didn't think that you know I wasn't really putting too much stock in Utah. But after two games, here's why I can say that they could end it in five. The Utah Jazz. They don't have an answer for Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles in the pick and roll. For whatever reason, that pick and roll is unguardable for them. Michael Porter Jr. has not done a good job on that pick and roll switching, and Jokic mm. can't defend the rim at all. That's why we see. That's why we saw Donovan Mitchell in the first game drop 57. And if it wasn't for Jamal Murray like popping off in the fourth quarter, then we could be looking at a 2-0 series right now. That's the only reason why I'd say that it's. It's definitely not too early to say that the Jazz could finish this in five. Until the Denver Nuggets find an answer to guard that pick and roll, whether it's Jeremy Grant or I don't know, they they got to figure that out. And if they don't, this series is going to be over very fast in my eyes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the only reason why I say that. But I, I just I just want to put some respect on the Utah Jazz's name because honestly. I don't think anybody really picked them. I want to say some people probably did. There are some basketball experts out there that said the Jazz could probably take the series, but I think a lot of us 
we're going to pick Denver and in quick fashion. So the Jazz have really flipped the narrative on that one. Moving on to another series that's kind of been surprising. We got the Rockets and the Thunder, which they had mm-hmm. a game yesterday, and I was watching it, and James Harden was not playing good. He, I think he only finished with like 10 points or something. Definitely not James Harden numbers. But they still won by like 13. They, they won by double digits still. So is it too early to say that the Rockets are going to sweep? Because originally we had the Thunder winning in seven. But it, do, it just doesn't seem like they have an answer right now for the Rockets' offense. Like if you watch that game, the Thunder have just been painfully, painfully executing on offense. Like it's painful to watch. They don't have like anybody they can really rely on as an ISO scorer. Shea Gilgis Alexander is getting trapped on like every drive that he makes. And Gallo has been like the only real guy that they could count on, kind of. But even in the mm-hmm. last game, Gallo wasn't that great. And Chris Paul hasn't been that guy either. So right. What, what do you see here? You know, what I've seen, um, you know, with the Thunder, you know, they, like, Shea, this is the first time Shea's playing the playoffs. Um, I think that, like, for the, just the team itself, I know that they they played in the playoffs last year, but this is a different team, completely different dynamic. Um, in terms of the Rockets, I think that, yes, like, yeah, you're right, like, Harden wasn't playing, the, like, Harden yesterday. But um, with this team, like, the way we, we, we've talked about the way this team was built um, in terms of, like, not having a big man. And, you know, in one of, some, one of the things I was predicting was that, like, Steven Adams would have a field day with that because of the fact that he is a pretty solid, respectable center in this league. Um, but one of the positives of the layout, and I think that the, the point and the reason why they were able, they built it the way they did is the fact that, you know, they have a lot of just good wing defenders, like 3 and D players, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even though PJ has been playing like some, he's played center at times, you know. He's still like like truly a, th- a three to a four, um, you know. Robert Covington, another great, like he was a guy I wanted for the Raptors, but I was really surprised to see him go to the Rockets um, in that trade. Um, and then just having, you know, Damari Carroll there too. Um, and Eric Gordon, I know he's not like um, not known necessarily for being that wing defender like they are, but you know he's also a guy who can stretch the floor. They got a lot of players who can stretch the floor, and that um, imposes threats for the other team and can cause mismatches. Um, and that's why you know the Rockets can still be a dangerous team. Um, and when Rus- the, the interesting thing is going to be when Westbrook comes back and see how he mm-hmm. um, fits and if that messes up their chemistry or not um, and how he plays. So uh, that's going to be exciting to see. But I don't think it's necessarily over at all. I think the only reason why I'm, I'm not really confident in OKC right now is because all of those advantages we talked about with like Steven Adams being able to dominate the paint that he hasn't been able to do that in this series even when i was watching the game yesterday there were so many chances where steven adams can get an offensive rebound and the rockets have just been like sending three four four bodies at the paint trying to get the ball and usually they get it they just tip it up and then somebody grabs it so 
Adams is like really alone there in terms of the offensive class, which was one of the one of the areas that OKC could have exploited. And when I just think of that, along with the fact that they haven't been able to get too much offense from anywhere else, and shout out to the Canadian Lou Dort, but he he had like maybe like eight eight shots that were wide open for three, and he only made one. So when you got a guy like that taking that many shots that are open and not converting, it's going to be hard to win a basketball game. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like defense wins championships, but you still got to put the ball in the basket in order to win the game. So just because the Thunder have struggled that much, this series could be over and four if, if they don't turn things around on the offensive end. And that's that's where it has a start, bro, KC. So moving on to another Western Conference matchup, the one that everybody was ready to, uh, everybody overreacted a little bit after the first game. But yep. I think I think that that first game was definitely the one that Houston, or sorry, not Houston, Portland was supposed to grab, and they did to their credit. But okay, I'm struggling to think of a prompt here. What what do you do? Do you have any like hot takes for this series? Do you, do you have any idea um. of how it could play out? I think uh, a hot take you could talk about, is, and it's just like because he's the most important player in the series, is, uh, is well, actually, just an overall big picture Ooh. thing. Is, is LeBron's legacy on the line? Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> is, it, is it? What did okay. you think of it? Was it? I was thinking of some, I was going in a different direction. Uh, I was actually thinking about the former Raptor, Danny Green. Uh, Snoop Dogg oh. actually posted uh, something on Instagram. Yeah, I don't know if you saw. It was kind of, um, I think it was kind of uh, overreacting a little bit too much. And also a little bit, like, I could see how people could think of it as offensive. But basically he posted, like, Danny Green's number in, in, in his uh, jersey. And his, on the back of his jersey says how many more, right? Obviously referring to the Black Lives Matter movement. But at the bottom he put how many more threes are you going to miss wide open threes are you going to miss or something like that he deleted the post afterwards but i was just thinking like man is it i was thinking is it too early to say that danny green isn't a a three-point marksman anymore just because like we've we've seen him in the playoffs especially last year like just completely vanish when when we needed him the most right like you look at series versus uh Sixers and then the Bucks. Oh my God, the Bucks series. Every time Danny Green made like threw up a shot, I knew it was gonna miss. And that's a sentence that you wouldn't really say for Danny Green because he's a knockdown shooter. For whatever reason, he just can't find a shot in the playoffs now. Um, so I'll ask that first, and I guess we'll also talk about LeBron's legacy. But his legacy is always on the line, no matter what he does. Um, in terms of Danny Green, uh, so when he was with the Spurs, he was on fire. Like the, the um, I believe it was 2013 where he broke the finals record for threes. Yep. So, you know, when he came to the Raptors, I was really excited. Regular season, he was playing great for the us. Um, you know, he was just that perfect, uh, reliable, um, two to three player who could hit a consistent shot, pretty play some pretty good defense, um, veteran leadership, 
uh, also a guy who loved being in Toronto, and I listened to his podcast, and it was really great and that type of stuff. So I really liked him. Um, in the playoffs, he struggled, but like, you know, there were times where he did catch a little fire, um, where he just like, I think like for example, he helped win at least one game in the finals where he was like yeah. knocking a few yeah. threes. I remember that. So I was like, finally, Danny, finally. Um, in terms of this season, like he apparently he hasn't been playing that great throughout the whole season. Um, and especially like, I guess in the playoffs, like, you know, I'm watching these games and like, I don't know what it is with him, you know, cause his shots, they weren't like all air balls, for example, like they were shots that just kept going in and out, you know? And I just, at this point, I'm like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's bad luck. Um, you know, with Danny Green, like, I don't know what happened to him, like, in terms of, like, other than maybe age in comparison to how he dropped from 2013 to now. Um, and I guess the expectations, I think the Lakers, you know, they've, they've just been tired of, like, mediocre to terrible players playing alongside their stars. So and Danny Green's just adding to that list in terms of how poorly he's been playing. Um, yeah. So... I don't want to be too hard on Danny Cream because, again, I like the guy. But, man, like, for the amount of money he's being paid, like, and the role, the expectations. I, you know, I also what didn't help was, like, um, I remember exactly when he did get signed for the Lakers because, you know, the Lakers really wanted Kawhi. Uh, they were part of that race. And then, like, the Kawhi Leonard thing to the Clippers happened. And then one of the, the, the first signing that the Lakers did in response to that was Danny Green. So I think that that Danny Green's always, Danny was kind of like doomed from the beginning in terms of expectations from the Laker fans because <laughs> they went yeah. from Kawhi to Danny Green, you know, like a huge downgrade in that sense. But um, I think it's not necessarily just him, just the team itself. They need to all, I don't think Laker fans should be too hard on him as they should be hard on everyone else, you know? I think... Uh... Laker fans and most importantly LeBron fans they were expecting Danny Green to be like Ray Allen or something like that and like, <laughs> like not Ray Allen from the Heat like they're expecting him to be like prime Ray Allen like hitting every like 45 percent from the yeah. three and like defending like crazy although Ray Allen wasn't like you know the best defender but they're they're expecting Danny Green to be too much from the get-go so mm -hmm. I feel bad for Danny in that sense, but I also don't feel bad because, yo, Danny almost threw away our title, man. Think about it. Like, that, that <laughs> play in game six that where he threw the Seattle. ball away. Yeah. Oh, my God. He should have just held the ball. Like, we still won at the end of the day, and it's a moot point regardless. But that that play always makes me shake my head. Uh, just before we move on, Danny Green's uh, last two games, two for eight from three, one for four from three. So he's not shooting good. Um, they also made fun of Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope because he had some uh, bad games. Uh, he had a bad first game versus Portland. He went 0 for 9 from the field and 0 for 5 from 3, but he bounced back last game with 16. So that's the kind of production that the Lakers are going to need out of their role players. They need 12 to 15 points from like somebody aside right. from LeBron and, and AD. So. Well with topping now I want to transition because a little bit cuz I want to talk to LeBron, you know, LeBron yeah. James, King of Akron. Um, you King know. King of LA. 
king of LA now. Well, he's fighting for that title, you know. Um, you're the guy now. I mean, well, I mean, you got your guy now in Anthony Davis, you know. You got he's probably the best player you've ever played with. Dominant power forward. He got like what? How many points did he score last night? He over thirty, I believe. I can't remember the exact uh, amount. I'll, I'll I'll pull it up for you while you're talking. But you know, you've got that dominant player. But LeBron, LeBron, I get you know this year, you know you've transitioned your game a little bit to be more like not that you weren't a playmaker before, but you really focused on your playmaking. Great, fantastic. I love you. Are gonna be you will go down as one of the best passers in league history. Like I do believe in your vision and that type of stuff. But LeBron, you said this year that this is going to be one of the most important years in your career, right? We need to see dominant LeBron. We need to see that 40 a game LeBron this year. We need to see if you want your legacy's on the line more than ever. You know, people have been doubting you. People have been you know, especially with uh, the Michael Jordan um, documentary, has reminded people of the greatness of Michael Jordan. Um, also, the passing of Kobe Bryant this year has reminded people of uh, Kobe's greatness and his Mamba mentality. You know, if you want to be continued in the to be talked about in those conversations, you need to dig in, and you need to carry the Lakers this year. You need to be that dominant. LeBron James that we've we've fallen in love with the the LeBron of the Miami Heat uh, the LeBron that um, I still remember Game Four uh, Indiana Pacers where um, the Cleveland Cavaliers were down like thirty to the Pacers and like LeBron just carried just shot after shot after shot all the way to that comeback we need that LeBron. with um you know portland's obviously a tough matchup but later on it's going to be tougher and tougher matchups if you want this championship if you want this title if you want your legacy to be respected more if you want to go down as one of the greatest of all time this is your chance to prove it we don't need that stat line of um i mean you have to pull the stats how many points what what was the The first game first game stats no second game uh, stats Okay, it's, ten points, six rebounds, seven assists. Come on, AD had thirty-one that, and eleven. Exactly, exactly. Does that look like LeBron James statistics to you? No. It's like Draymond Green statistics. To yeah, you. more like not, Draymond. not like not like prime Draymond Green. This is like <laughs> last year Draymond Green. Um, Ex- I'll tell you what, man. Regardless of what happens this season, this is the only reason why LeBron is really adamant about winning the title this year is he wants to go down as the GOAT. He wants to go down as greater than LeBron, than uh, Michael Jordan. The way I see it, though, he's fighting a losing game just because he's already had so many knocks on his career where Jordan's, Jordan's like, career, you, you can talk about his early playoff struggles and how he couldn't really get the, over the hump with his first nine years, but once he started dominating, he never left the top. And to me, like, you know, we could talk about the GOAT debate another time. But just to me, that's so hard to do, especially in this era, because the game is different. And at the same time, also, like, LeBron's different from Michael Jordan, you know. He's not, he's, he is a guy that can dominate the game where he can drop, like, 40, 50 points in a, in a playoff game. We've seen it before. But at this stage of his career, I don't know if he can do that. 
And I think he's trying to preserve his longevity because if it's anything that he'll have against Michael Jordan, it'll be like, you know, going down as the NBA's leading point scorer and going down as like top 10 in assists as well. And, you know, just like that statistical prowess of like being better across the board. I think that's where he can make a dent into that GOAT conversation. But yeah, honestly, I, I know what you're saying. We just want to see some urgency from LeBron James because this Portland team can knock them out if they're not playing to their full potential, as we saw like in the first game. And to, to Portland's uh, credit, they weren't playing the greatest in their first game to begin with. So this series is a lot closer than a lot of people think. And right. I just think in general, guys like Danny Green have to step up the role players need to step up and above all LeBron James needs to be on the top of his game if he wants to get out of this series. Yeah, he's been playing too passive. He's always passing. He's, you know, he can dominate. Like who on Portland can actually stop LeBron James like end to end, you know, on a rush like if you go if LeBron LeBron drives, who's stopping that? Nobody. Nobody. You know? Yeah, 100%. But, but LeBron's just you know, been too passive. Like, I understand he wants to uh, elevate Davis's game. But you can also dominate. Take that shot, LeBron, you know? You, you know, like, his, like, I, I during the regular season, like, you know, fine. Like, I understand he wants to play passive. But in the playoffs, man, he can go for 40 a game if he wants to. Yeah, and just a quick note before we move on. LeBron didn't turn on zero dark 30 to this uh, playoffs, if you notice. Like, he's posting on social media. So that could be the determining factor, maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on to the Eastern Conference, it's looked pretty lopsided for the most part across the board. But I- I'm just uh, struggling to think of anything for these three teams other than the Raptors. So I guess we'll start with the Raptors. Is it too early to bring out the brooms? Are we looking at a sweep? Hmm. It, if this happens, it, hmm. I believe it would be the first ever sweep in Raptors history. I want to give respect to the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they have been fighting. You know, they fought both games. I don't think there's been, like, an absolutely embarrassing game they've played so far. Um, I don't think they will. Uh, important to note, I don't think Joe Harris is coming back. Yeah, um, he left the bubble for personal reasons. Right. Um, which weakens their team even more. Um, yeah, I think they... I think the Raptors will end up sweeping them. Um, but it won't... I still think there's going to be like at least one more close game. Where... Yeah. You know, like, game two is a bit of a... You know, the Raptors had to finally show up in the fourth quarter and, like, kind of, like, take care of business type of thing. But, like, Karis LeVert, like, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, I think you're excited for next year. Um, yeah. You guys are a feisty team. Um, Karis LeVert is a, not a joke. Um, you got some pieces. Uh, I think that even though Garrett Temple kind of fumbled the, the final possession, that he's a solid piece. Uh, for that team, um, Jared Allen, you know, um, he 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 has he can have his moments. You know, he's a good rebounder, good shot blocker. Um, 
you know, this is just a building block for them. Next year, the Brooklyn's going to be a very, very dangerous team with uh, Kyrie, KD, and potentially Greg Popovich as coach, which we can talk about another time um, if that happens. But um, that, that's that's crazy. Like if Pop goes to Brooklyn, that's crazy. But I'm ready to call it, man. Bring out the brooms. <laughs> it's gonna be a sweep. But yeah, just like from what I've seen in this series, uh, it's definitely the series that I've been most attentive to the most. Just because you know, Raptors fan. <laughs> Pascal Siakam hasn't emerged yet as as much as I've wanted him to. He's, he's still kind of forcing the three a little bit too much. I just want to see him play more to the flow of the game, whether it's, you know, making more passes or going to the rim more often. Because I, I just feel like he's trying to live up to the expectation where he's he's basically this team's Kawhi, which to Pascal's credit, he's a really good player, but I don't think he's on that level yet. So I don't no. think he should really sweat the expectation too much of being able to carry the load because there are like four four or five guys on this team that can pop off for like 20 every game. So I think he should focus more on being that pesky defender on defense, lock down the other opponent's players, and just play play in the flow of the game, man. Just let, let it come to you. He's a good player, and I think he's also throughout his career he's been a rhythm player he's always played within the flow of his offense so to see him like force these threes it's it's kind of tough and we'll definitely talk more about that later so yeah just real quick it's going to be a sweep for those uh fans out there that are listening that don't know tagalog i'll teach you a word right now wallis that's a broom in tagalog Mm -hmm. so wallis wallis sweep moving Mm -hmm. on to the Another team that could potentially get swept. Is it too early to say that Boston Celtics sweep the Philadelphia 76ers out of the playoffs? I think so. Um, wait, sorry, sorry. sorry. What, what did you say the question again, sir? Is it too early to say that the Boston Celtics are going to sweep the Philadelphia 76ers? Yes or no? Yes, because I do think that Joel Embiid is bound to have one dominant game. You know, I know they got blown out game two. Um, but I think that Joel Embiid can dominate at least one one or two games, you know. Um, I think also as a Raptors fan, I do just want the t- series to be extended a little bit just so that, like, Boston would have to, like, work a little more before going to the second round. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean... No matter what, like the Celtics are winning that series, just especially since Ben Simmons is not there, and with Philly, they're just—I don't know what they're—they're going to do for the future because uh, the team is a little bit of a mess. <laughs> you know, they've got that some talent, talented pieces, but um, I don't know that starts a fire in Brett Brown, and then just like. I feel like they've got to trade one of Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid for the future, because um, mm-hmm. I don't think they're gonna coexist. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I will say to answer your question, just it's I think it's, I don't think they're gonna get swept, but uh, I will say that the Celtics will pretty much win this series. All right. So, 
Uh, you're watching the video. You can see my background. Joel Embiid, after the Eastern Conference semis last year, he was mm. crying. You saw him in the last game. He he was basically just like, I'm going to say on my glasses for a sec, but he was basically just like this. He's defeated mentally. He doesn't know what to do. I'll tell you mm. why this series could be a sweep. And it's, it. well, there's a couple reasons. First off, Brett Brown, he's a terrible coach. Number two, the roster construction is completely garbage. They paid Tobias Harris and uh, oh, they paid Tobias Harris and okay, they paid Tobias Harris one hundred and ninety million dollars to do what? To be able not not be able to score off off the dribble? Like, come on, man, that's number one and number two. And the third thing with the Sixers is. Joel Embiid just can't be the number one option on a championship team. And this is why. Because he can't play 40 minutes and dominate in the post the whole time. As much as Brett Brown wants to go to Joel Embiid in the post every single time, he can't. Because, number one, Joel Embiid can't play 40 minutes. He's he's still a guy that's going to struggle to play that many minutes in a game. And that's just because his conditioning hasn't been the best throughout his career. He's never played that many minutes on a consistent basis because of his injuries and due to his injury concerns. So I get it. But that's the, that's the reason why it's going to be a sweep because they don't have an answer for Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and mm-hmm. you know Gordon Hayward's out, but it doesn't seem like that's a big of an issue. And you know the Sixers are in trouble when they're looking for offense from one of their like recent signings uh, before the bubble. I believe it's Alec Burks yeah. who they signed. He, he's one of their primary sources for offense now. And that's how you know the Sixers are in trouble. They're on the ropes. So uh, it may be premature to say it's going to end in a sweep just because, you know, it's it's always good to give the a team a benefit of the doubt before, you know, you call it like 100% on the dot, as it's we'll just, talk about later. But it, It's just frustrating because especially when I was watching game one, like there are moments where – like. Like they were, Philly was doing a good job of just like moving out of the way and just giving Joel Embiid like room in the post, and he would just dominate. Cause I'm telling you, talent-wise, no one can stop this man. This man is a strong guy who can bully his way to the rim. But like you said, like he can't play those long, those big minutes, and that's gonna hurt them in the end because you know you you don't have that Ben Simmons to like kind of like replace his minutes a bit, you know. So it's. It sucks, you know, for Philly. Yeah, but at the same time, Philly, you know, Sam Hinkie died for this, man. Like, he died for what this, te- what this team is right now. So, I don't know, man. They tank for half a- They tank for basically, the, like, what, five, six years, half a time. So, if this is what it shows for, then, man, they're doing something wrong up there in Philadelphia. Tatum. Tatum was supposed to be that final piece, you know? Yeah. It, we could be thinking a whole different trajectory for the Sixers if they picked Tatum over Markel Fultz. But, yeah. And they traded Markel for nothing. And yeah. Markel's actually been a solid piece for Orlando. He isn't a bust. Yeah. Which is a great segue to go into that Orlando-Milwaukee series. It was definitely too early to say that it was going to be a sweep, which literally like 99% of the whole like NBA world was predicting from the series. 
they didn't see any way that the Bucks could even like drop a game. And here we are, it's one one. But mm-hmm. honestly, I can't really think of anything for this series. Like, is it too early to say it's going to end in five? Like, I don't think so. Yeah, I think the same. Th- it's going to be deja vu for Orlando from last year. Um, yeah. But in some ways, I would see this as um, still uh, a good year for them, if that's the case, because uh, they did steal a game against uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, they still got pieces, you know. Um, Vucevic is a nice center. Um Shout out to my boy T. Ross. Always liked his game. Uh, Aaron Gordon. Isaac isn't playing. So that's another thing you could talk about Like for next year. like Now you have Isaac's going to be back next year. And you're going to be a better team with that. And, um, you know, they, they're just... I don't like... The, I Right now, they're kind of at a stagnant point, kind of. Because they're not bad enough to like get a top pick but they're not good enough to be a contender. So right now they're just going to have to just hope that their players develop in with time um, wherever they get in the draft this year. Hopefully they develop them as well. But uh, not a bad year for Orlando. Milwaukee, I was never worried for them, even though they lost game one. So, um, yeah, bucks and five. I will say that it was definitely too early for people to be worried about the Bucks. Uh, like I said, I was listening to the No Dunks podcast over at The Athletic a couple of mornings, like I think two mornings ago. And I believe one of the hosts, they were talking about how they're worried about the Bucks the most out of all of those like contender teams that lost the first game. Like, no way, man. Come on. Like, Orlando, they got a game purely off the fact that the, the Bucks role players had a bad game. Giannis was still dominating for the most part, but the supporting cast wasn't there. So just in general, the, the Magic were overmatched to begin with. The fact that they got one game, whoever bet on that one game and bet on Orlando made some money, but to tell you the truth, like they're, they weren't in trouble at all. They're, they're just like, all right, we're awake now and we're going to finish this off. There's no way I see this series go beyond five games and... If it does, then, you know, y'all called it and we're stupid. But we're not stupid. I will, At least I hope we're not. But moving on to a series that seems a little more... It, it's close, but it seems like it's kind of lopsided. And we can talk about that a little bit more. But is it too early to say that TJ Warren is the next Lin Sanity in terms of... <laughs> In terms of his performance. Because I've been seeing a lot of talk about how like TJ Warren is just Linsanity 2.0. Which Linsanity was crazy when it happened. But if you look at it, Warren had a stretch of games where he was like, yo, this guy's like one of the best players. And then all of a sudden, you know, runs into Jimmy Butler. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy Butler's like, you know, you know that, um, what is it? You know when someone, like, just fathers someone or, like, sons them? You're like, yo, yeah. pat on the head. Like, good job. But it's my time. That's basically what Jimmy Butler is doing at TJ wow. at this point. <laughs> I was caught off guard with that one. Um, I get what, what you're think, saying. Man? I get what you're saying. But, nah. I, I mean, I've always liked Warren's game, even going back to Phoenix days. Um 
and I thought that Phoenix was dumb to get rid of him. Um, and in terms of, like, well, if you want to directly compare to Lin, that wouldn't necessarily be fully accurate, because, like, Lin came out of nowhere, like, literal nowhere, while Warren, yeah. like, I think he just was a guy who developed, you know, because he's young, and not he just had an opportunity to really showcase his skill, but he was always a serviceable player before that. Um, and in terms of this series specifically, I think it's just a poor matchup for him. And also, like, uh, Warren isn't supposed to be that guy to be, like, the number one, two option. Like, yes, he's, like, he's had opportunity. He's shown in the bubble that he can give you those games here and there. But I don't think he'll ever, and I never predicted him to ever be that guy. He's only being forced to be that guy because of the injuries to Sabonis, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, Bogdan. But um, uh, essentially, like, I just think that, like, this it's not, like, like Miami's doing what they should have, they should be doing to an undermanned Indiana Pacers team. And, um, Miami is also showcasing why they are a dangerous team. And I'm personally scared because Duncan Robinson was shooting it. Like, I was watching the game. Like, Duncan Robinson can shoot, man. Um, and the way they play, like, they, they got great ball movement, um, Jimmy Butler is obviously that guy, um, but like Tyler Hero, uh, Bam, uh, they've got pieces. Gordon Dragic, uh, they're they're a dangerous team. They really are. The fact that they're pulling Gordon Dragic off the bench and then he's starting out that fourth quarter and really like hitting shots here left and right, that's yeah. that's crazy to me that they're bringing a guy like that off the bench. And we've seen it before too. Like especially in the playoffs, the Raptors. Dragic is he's, he's a good player, and definitely underrated because um, he's also had a lot of international experience playing on in the FIBA circuit and in the Euroleague and whatnot. But just in general, the way the way I've seen this series play out so far, the only reason why I compared T.J. Warren to Lin Sanity is because the fashion that everybody was talking about. T.J. Warren was kind of along the same lines as Jeremy Lin at his peak. And I don't necessarily... Well, I agree with you in the sense that T.J. Warren definitely did not come out of nowhere because for a lot of, like, basketball fans and, like, people who really watch the game, they know that T.J. Warren is a good player. It's just um, the way I compare the Lin Sanity thing to the whole, like, T.J. Warren bubble goat scenario is that T.J. Warren looked at one point to be, like... A superstar he played that way anyway and that's kind of the same way people saw Jeremy Lin which is the only reason why I bring that up but regardless of what happens in the series Miami is completely contained them to like a T they're locking down TJ Warren and everybody on the Pacers for that matter so it's really a defensively oriented series to the start but Miami just has more weapons like you said, Duncan Robinson, he's a flamethrower. I think he hit like seven for eight yesterday from three. And that's mm-hmm. crazy. I think he, he tied the heat record with uh, Mike Miller, I believe, for threes mm-hmm. made in a playoff game. Yeah. And I believe that was the shoe game as well when uh, Mike Miller lost his shoe. So that's just a little trivia for you guys. But yeah, aside from this, Miami has too many weapons. And I wouldn't be surprised if this series is done in four games either, just, just because Miami has been able to lock them down. Yeah. 
So we've been through the entire first two games of every playoff series. We're going to now move on to a new segment we're going to call the Raptor Rant. So every week we're going to talk about just something that pisses us off or gets us kind of riled up about the Raptors. So, Jeff, we're going to start off with you. What's what's annoying you about the Raptors right now, man? Not necessarily too annoyed yet, but I could see it more of a problem with like the next series and on, onward is uh, definitely just want to see Siakam really, really like not force it and just play to the best of his abilities in terms of like you know, again, like not forcing it, um, being that guy in terms of, you know, like we don't, you are the number one option at the end of the day. Like we don't necessarily think, like at least the reasonable people will, don't expect you to be like another Kawhi, but just do your job as well as you can, you know, because this team, this team is deep enough that like, you know, other team players like Fred Van Fleet, Kyle Lowry can contribute, but just do your part, you know, and not don't like four shots, don't shoot us out of the game, um, play good defense, be a threat um, in terms of uh, um, uh, going up and down the court, you know, just be that guy for us, and uh, that's all I'm asking for you. Um, and uh, if you're able to do that, we can contend with any team. Pascal, I'm, I'm addressing you directly. Just please, just please don't force up those threes, please. You're no. not, you're, you're a good player, don't get me wrong. You you can run laps around everybody on the court. I just want to see you attack the basket. I want to see you be decisive with your, with your decisions. Don't, like, change your mind midair and then throw a pass and then it's a turnover. Just really lock down on your game. Just play to your abilities, play within the offense, and then shots will come your way. The three will always be there in this in this uh, ball movement that the Raptors have. So don't just run up the court and pop a three. Like pass it to a teammate, set a screen for someone, and maybe you're going to be open. So just play within the offense. And we've talked about Pascal before, so I'll just like cut it off there because yeah, we got mad love for Pascal, but. At the same time, we know that in order to unlock the Raptors' championship aspirations, we need Pascal to be like one of the best players on our team. So, for this week's, uh, for my Raptor rent this week, Alan Strickland. Is that a name? That's a name that probably uh, comes up for a lot of Raptor fans. He was the officer at the Raptors' uh, championship game that they won in. Um, mm-hmm in Golden State, who assaulted Masai Ujiri. This this coming out, especially now, is with the body cam footage, it's just unfortunate to see because that was supposed to be a night where Masai Ujiri is supposed to celebrate, you know? And because of that unfortunate event, it ruined it. But I know this is supposed to be a Raptor rant, but maybe I'll just be like ranting about things like society in general. When you're a guy like Masai Ujiri, he has, everybody knows him, right? But he was still profiled by this officer and it was unfortunate that it happened to him. But imagine if you're just a regular guy on the street 
walking and then something like this happens to you. If you're a regular black man in America and you run into an officer in this kind of situation, what do you think happens? And I, I don't want to like generalize every officer, but we got we got to just speak about the facts and what generally happens in these scenarios. Mm-hmm. If you're not if you're not a Masai Ujiri at a basketball game, something way worse is going to happen. So I didn't mean it to get all serious, but this is what the reality of our world is right now, especially in the states and even in Canada, everywhere. Regardless, this is just what happens. And you know what, Alan Strickland, I hope you get your due justice by uh, Messiah Jury suing you back because you deserve it, honestly. And the fact that he, he even tried to like get money out of Messiah and there was talks about Messiah Jury getting like a criminal charge for what happened is it's just so egregiously wrong. And there's definitely a lot of things that need to change in the world, but it needs to start with people like this. Officers are supposed to protect and serve the people, but instead you got people like this, like Alan Strickland, who are just looking out there to cause trouble, or maybe he knew who Masai was and he was just trying to get some money out of him. He was thinking that Masai was just going to, you know, he's going to sue Masai and then Masai was just going to pay the... Um, What's the legal term? Ah, uh, jeez, I can't. I think I can't think of it right now. Hey, I took I took law in university, but I wasn't that good, and that was in first year. But regardless, he was just trying to look for some money, and it didn't turn out that way. And now, now that the body cam footage is out, it's clear that Messiah Jerry has like nothing. He has nothing against Messiah Jerry because you, you saw in the video the fact. You, you, before Messiah even retaliated at all. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you gonna say something? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, I think the crazy thing is that, like, just with that body cam alone, like, it is so obvious who the aggressor was, you know, in that situation. And I think that if, you know, that footage was just released immediately after like it would have all this would have been avoided like this like lawyers wouldn't have been involved and just like it would have been so clear who uh was involved here because Masai was just trying to get to uh the court to celebrate his team he was going to show his press credentials and he was just pushed for no reason for no reason and think about it this way is that like think about how much like this was a public setting this is like like thousands of people are there you know all the cameras um and he still tried to lie about that situation he still tried to create a narrative and victimize himself in a situation like that you know and by the way like the police department um rather than like hold him accountable and punish him they protected him with paid leave so like you want to know why people don't really trust the police these days like the the police department if they wanted to gain back the trust because that's the most important thing right they want to get the people's confidence that'd be a perfect situation where we're like no we don't we don't mess with that type of shit so we're going to 
um, hold th- this guy is just an individual. He does not represent the police force. We're going to hold him responsible. Instead, they protected him this whole damn time, right? And speaking directly to that individual, like I said, like if he was able to do in that setting, can you imagine what he'd be doing just as a regular officer, like it, throughout his whole career, if there was no body cams, like all the people he probably took advantage of or um, sent to jail for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, he represents what's wrong with the police force um, and uh, the criminal justice system. And there needs to be a police reform again, like not getting to political, but at the same time, like that is just another, like the Maasai jury thing is just another example of like what's wrong, you know, with uh, stereotyping, uh, prejudice, you know, profiling, I, profiling. I mean, like with the size statement, it is so true. Like this is why we fight for Black Lives Matter, because if you like, and like you said beautifully, you know, um, he had and what he said too, he had the advantage of having the money to mm-hmm. defend himself, but other people don't, and they probably are rotting in jail right now, unfortunately, because of sh- shit like that. And um, that's why it is so important to continue the fight. Uh, the NBA players, the NBA league, sports world, the whole world is fighting for this message because black lives do matter. And um, hopefully, hopefully with all these examples, something can actually be changed because it's actually pathetic. It's actually pathetic. Yeah. And the fact that it was made up, this whole situation was just about, like, credentials. Like, Masai, like you said, Masai clearly flashed his badge. It's just Strickland, he he didn't give Masai a chance to do that and just right away went for the shove. So Mm -hmm. that just goes to show that this problem, like, it's about the police force and how... They shouldn't be profiling, but this is also this is also about racism. This is about stereotypes. This is about this is about all these things that are wrong with society right now. And if we want to make a change, it needs to be fundamentally from the root. You need to start out with educating people, but you also need to start out with getting people like Alan Strickland out of the police force. You need to punish these people accordingly, so they can hopefully learn from their mistakes, because. You know, I, I'm not a full believer in, like, capital punishment or anything like that. Again, not to get too political. I think you should give people a second chance, but you need to punish them first so they can learn from their mistake. And clearly, the I believe the county, that's, uh, county that employs the police force that that, um, that officer worked under, they clearly didn't do that. They just let them off, so... Just in general, like like you said, this this thing is a worldwide issue and it's still happening. And as you can see, even if you're a guy like Masai Ujiri who has like you know everybody knows him, he can still be subject to being how how do I want to say this? He he can be subject to this issue as well. Like no matter how high up you are in the world. Or, like, you know, how if you're, like, a regular average guy or girl, you're, everybody is in this together. And everybody can be a victim 
of this issue. So that's why it's so important that we talk about these issues. And just in general, we need to keep that conversation going that black lives do matter and we still have to fight every day for equal rights. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, we're going to get out of here. This has been the NBA's most valuable podcast brought to you by no sponsors because we don't have any sponsors, but mm. we're going to be back next, next time with, uh, I believe by then probably the first round is going to be over. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking more basketball next time, everything around the NBA and beyond till then we're out. Peace. Peace.